Welcome to the Nuco Shift Dialogues podcast. For the first season, we've selected some of the best conversations we've had throughout the year to share with you, our first listeners. These conversations were originally recorded at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center as part of our Dialogues project, where we chat with leaders on the front lines of the greatest shift in business since the Industrial Revolution. The first season of our podcast is brought to you by EY, Building a Better Working World. The new mayor of Oakland, Libby Schaaf, on President Trump, Uber's move, the gentrification and housing crises, and why cities are the antidote to presidential politics. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, we had a great Nuco Oakland. We've had several of them now. We're looking forward to February. Um, and uh, it's, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, I imagine this has been an interesting few weeks for you, given the, the election that just occurred. And, yeah, no, the election has definitely impacted everybody. It was a bit of a shock for yeah. Oakland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Oakland did respond, or at least little, uh, portions of Oakland responded in, in a way that maybe made some national news. Um, but what, you know, as a politician, uh, and I guess a relatively new politician, you were a city council member prior to becoming a mayor, but, you know, how, how does, how did that, that result affect you? So I'm very thankful that the American form of government gives tremendous power and independence to state and local government. Yeah. And so I think that now is a time to really flex that muscle mm -hmm. uh, because California and the Bay Area was very clear yeah. about what direction it wanted the country to go in. And that's the nice thing about checks and balances in our American form of government yeah. is that we can do a lot of things on our own. Yeah. Well, do you, is there, is it clear what's what might change because of this new administration? Or are you still processing that? I think everybody is still processing. I mm -hmm. mean, uh, the, the president has said a lot of things on the campaign trail that we will see if they both will come true right. and if they even can come true. Right. Uh, we are preparing ourselves, though, for the worst. We're hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. So, yeah. for example, we've done uh, an inventory of all the federal funding we receive. Mm -hmm. Where would that be impacted? And starting to talk about if these uh, federal funds are cut off, where are other places where we could get support to continue these critical services? Right. But I I'll be very clear, we are not compromising our values and things like being a sanctuary city, right. being a city that welcomes and supports people of every nationality, every gender, uh, every gender identity, yeah. every race. Um, those are things that are just part of the soul of Oakland, and we will not compromise that. And so that you were one of the first to, to declare that after the election, that Oakland you know, was committed to this concept of sanctuary city. There are many other mayors who have done the same. Um, what does it really mean? You know, I liken it to being a conscientious objector. And so it really is an American value that mm. respects freedom. And uh, cities have the right to say, we are not going to cooperate. We're not going to collect uh, immigration status information uh, in our libraries or schools or hospitals or from our police department. Um, and, and that is our right to do that. So we're not breaking any laws. We're just not collaborating or supporting laws that we deem to be unjust. It seems to that we may be setting up for an interesting test of polity, of, of where power is and how power is expressed. And cities in particular um, were the only um, sort of sociological institution in the United States that overwhelmingly voted for Clinton. 
um, city, Clinton won cities, but lost almost everywhere else. Um, what did lessons have you drawn from from that fact and from you know the victory of Donald Trump? Do, do you think that there are lessons for cities? Are there lessons for for all of us in in that? You know, I don't pretend to be a national political analyst. That's not my um, expertise. But uh, I do know that worldwide, for the very first time, more than half of the world's population now lives in cities. Right. And that number is only expected to grow. I think it's projected to be 70% by 2040. Yeah. So people are recognizing the importance of cities. I've been very involved with climate change work. Mm -hmm. and. Um, there's been a lot of uh, worry about you know, whether these national governments are willing to enter into these accords like we saw in Paris. Right. But at the end of the day, uh, national government felt comfortable because so many cities had already made their commitments to climate change protections. Right. And you know, when you have 70% of the world's core emissions coming out of cities, if you can get every city to step forward, you almost don't need national action. And that's what things like C40 are about. Yeah. Bloomberg has been um, very passionate about lifting up the power of the city. Right. And so I think you're going to see a lot more city-to-city -city partnerships. I know Oakland is in partnership with 100 cities in China around wow. climate change um, goals and, and different things that they can do. Yeah. So we're bypassing national government. Yeah. We're talking to one another. Well, it's fascinating because, of course, uh, Trump has not been very clear on many policies, although he's made, I saw a Washington Post article uh, saying he's made 285 promises of things he's going to do, none of which seem to be quite possible. But one of the things he was clear on is that he said climate change was a hoax. Um, and he seemed to back off of that post-election a little bit. Uh, but does that send a chill down your spine? It, it does. It, it sends more of an um, embarrassment chill down my <laughs> spine, I'll be honest with you. Um, but, you know, California and our governor, uh, Jerry Brown, former mayor of Oakland, um, he has been very clear that California is not slowing down in the slightest right. with regard to our role as leaders in the climate change discussions. Right. And again, uh, Jerry was the one who started the under two MOU, which, uh, and th this has kind of grown into the covenant of mayors. Uh, you know, you have mayors from hundreds of, of countries, uh, I'm sorry, hundreds of, hundreds of cities, right. I think it's about 114 different countries that have all committed to very tangible improvements. Right. So California is gonna keep doing what it's gonna do, right. no matter what the president believes. Yeah. When you became mayor, you know, did the last, did Gene leave an operating manual on the desk? I mean, what, <laughs> what, what, what does a typical day in the mayor's chair look like? Well, you know, I had worked for Jerry Brown when he was mayor, so I, mm -hmm. I had experienced it, although there's, there's no substitute for what it's like when you're in the role. Right. And, you know, I spend a lot of time telling Oakland's story which I love doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I spend a lot of time kind of hustling for resources for right. my city. Uh, I've been very active in promoting something called the Oakland Promise, mm -hmm. which is a very audacious uh, goal to triple the number of Oakland students who graduate from college, not just right. high school, college. 
and that uh, definitely requires some public-private partnership. And we've been very fortunate to get a lot of people excited about the way that we are going about accomplishing this vision. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a lot of what you do as mayor is really form those relationships. I work a lot with my regional partners, particularly uh, Mayor Ed Lee in San Francisco mm -hmm. and Sam Licardo in San Jose, because as we all in the Bay Area are grappling with this affordability crisis, right. we recognize that the, the solutions to our housing crisis, our transportation crisis, uh, is not just going to be in one city. Right. It really does need to be approached on a regional level. Yeah. Those those are some of the things. I, I don't get um, a lot of free time in my days. Yeah. Generally, I have something scheduled every half hour or hour, right. uh, all day long. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I work a lot of weekends and nights as yeah. well. Yeah. But that's you what sound, I signed up for. You sound like for. an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's like a startup. <laughs> right, it is like a startup. Um, what has? I, I want to get into the affordability. That's sort of the meat of, of the conversation. Um, uh, but first, I want to ask you. You know, what has surprised you? What you know, we, when you now you've been in the role a little bit of time. What what were you like? Wow, I did not think I'd be spending my time on this. You know, I was so excited to become the mayor at this moment. Uh, when I made the decision to run for mayor, people thought I was crazy. But I could see that we were coming into this cycle where the possibility for Oakland to see some real revitalization was possible. Mm. And I just couldn't stand the idea of that passing Oakland by once again. Because throughout my life, you know, I'm 51 years old, I have seen Oakland go through many cycles. And it seems like prosperity comes to the Bay Area and somehow bypasses Oakland. Mm. And that, is, you know, that was a huge motivator for me to run for mayor. But I did not expect for prosperity to come to Oakland as quickly and almost violently as it yeah. has. Um, the increase in the cost of housing, right. the increase in our commercial rents uh, has been head spinning. Right. And it is definitely causing uh, a lot of very understandable anxiety and fear well, in the longtime residents and businesses. So let's get into that because I think that, you know, you talked about partnerships with Ed Lee and with the mayor of San Jose. Isn't that a direct result of sort of unprecedented uh, move into the city, particularly of business. Tell me one story, one anecdote of when this got real for you. Was it when Uber decided to buy the Sears building? Or? Yeah, Uber is the moment. Right. Like, I think that's the moment that we'll all talk about when Oakland So what happened there, so just in case the viewers don't know? <laughs> well, uh, Uber took what was an abandoned uh, big department store. Uh, when I grew up, it was Capwell's. It's where I always bought my back-to-school clothes. Mm -hmm. Then became Sears, uh, and then Sears left. And some, you know, entrepreneurial developers bought it, and they were rehabbing it as kind of creative tech space. Mm -hmm. And we knew that they were, you know, pursuing potential tenants. But when we found out that Uber actually bought the building and was expanding their international headquarters to an Oakland location. Again, they're still, they still have buildings in San Francisco. Um, it, it really did feel like, wow, you know, we've made it. Yeah. How do you feel about a company that has only 1099 employees that has been, you know, had, has been, has had a shroud of some controversy around how it's prosecuted its business. Some have called it un unalloyed capitalism, rapacious capitalism. Um, 
the value of capital in, in Uber is, being, is really held by about 100 people, but it's a $70 billion you know, market cap. Um, there, are, there are arguments that Uber is, is kind of not good for the economy, and there are arguments that it's extraordinarily good. Do you stay away from those arguments and you're just happy that 3,000 jobs have come to downtown Oakland? Um, neither. Hmm. Uh, my job is to lift up what's good and control what's bad and try and create pressure and guidance to make sure that we maximize the positive impacts. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, absolutely true that whenever you have something that is so disruptive, and, and technology, it's going to evolve. Uh, things are going to get started. Uh, technologies are going to get discovered. Right. And is it our job to suppress that, or is it our job to guide it in a positive direction? Right. I say guide, because uh, I don't think you can suppress, and I don't think you want to suppress. Yeah. So, you know, I always say that, you know, my biggest challenge in this moment is you've got incredible energy coming into a place like Oakland. You have incredible energy with um, these new disruptive technologies and business models coming into the market. How do you channel that energy so that it lifts up vulnerable populations, lifts up your core values as opposed to pushing them out? And that is something that I think San Francisco has grappled with. I think Oakland is trying to um, kind of learn some cautionary tales from what has yeah. happened in San Francisco and you know, look at where are the good things in Uber? How can we work with Uber to lift up those things? And, and I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had opportunities to talk to Travis. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about him. One thing that I discovered that I really resonated with me is he has a tremendous concern and compassion for formerly incarcerated uh, people. Now, Uber's also, uh, along with Facebook and, and a lot of other companies, LinkedIn here, just a block down the street. Mm -hmm. um, a, a major employer of the type of, of person often targeted as the face of gentrification, the face of the affordability crisis, which is, you know, people who work at a company like Uber have a six-figure salary, and even they are having trouble, you know, finding a place to live and paying for that place to live. But the people who, who, who lived in cities and who are being pushed out, um, uh, certainly don't have that kind of income. And so have you worked with Uber on that question as well? Absolutely. Uh, when Uber first announced that it was moving to Oakland, I sent them uh, a letter that actually got fairly well publicized. Yeah. <laughs> dear, dear Uber, yeah. welcome to Oakland. I saw the letter. <laughs> now, it was help, one week before Nuco Oakland, as yeah, I recall. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. now help us preserve the magic that attracted you here to begin with. And it again, this is what mayors, you know, they did not ask, I mean, they hinted around, but I made it very clear I was not going to give them a tax break. Right. Um, so. Unlike the mid-market tax zone, which was created here to draw, you know, scores of companies to an area that was blighted by some, you know, accounts. Correct. It's, it's just not my thing. I, I worry that that's the kind of thing that, that kind of is a race to the bottom mm -hmm. for cities when you're trying to incentivize people to move um, for reasons other than this is a good fit for right. them. Right. So, uh, but, but anyway, because I didn't offer tax incentives, I didn't have any uh, formal leverage 
to get Uber to do anything, right. right? They paid market rate. They were not seeking any zoning variances, nothing. But you can still use um, the bully pulpit to articulate what your expectations are right. and to be a, a resource to help uh, execute those e expectations. Yep. And so we did talk about what we call techquity mm -hmm. uh, and this idea right. that Oakland can nurture a tech sector that is different, that does tech right, that harnesses that disruptive and creative energy, um, not just to profit, but to actually improve society. Right. Um, and that is thoughtful, uh, both in uh, creating an atmosphere that is inclusive and is going to help diversify the tech sector, which I think everybody admits needs some more yep. diversity in it, as well as doing their part to create a pipeline for the future generations to be prepared to take those six-figure salaries right. uh, in tech companies. I want my students in the Oakland Public Schools to be getting those jobs so they can right. stay in my city, they can continue to afford living in my city and work their way up the opportunity ladder in Oakland. Right. And there are other ways that a company like Uber can also um, be a good kind of corporate citizen. Um, but when a company like Uber comes in and, a, and, a, and the theaters like the Paramount come in and all of a sudden you get a vibrant scene and, and you get a lot of people who want to live in Oakland, it gets expensive. How do you mitigate that uh, through policy? Yeah, it got expensive. Yeah. Like that that ship has sailed. Um, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, Oakland had the fastest increase in cost of living relative to income of any city in America. Wow. And that has not stopped. So how, how do you handle that? So uh, again, you do have to look at re some regional solutions because what got us into this mess was not the action of one city alone. It's that the entire Bay Area added half a million more jobs since 2000 and built only 54,000 new units of housing. Ouch. So we have a supply and demand problem with our housing. Uh, and that also has really taxed our infrastructure and transportation systems. As, as people have been forced to move farther and farther away from the jobs because of that lack of housing. Yeah. So, um, you know, you did see some kind of local self-help on the ballot uh, this November, both the city of Oakland and the county of Alameda, our county, both passed significant bonds to build more affordable housing. And in Oakland, I'm very focused on preventing displacement. So helping people who are currently living in Oakland remain in Oakland at rents they can't afford. Right. We need development at every income level right. to address the problem that we have right now. Because if you don't build that million dollar condo in Oakland, then that same person who was going to move into your condo is going to kick someone out of their cute Victorian house in West Oakland. Right. And that's what I want to avoid. So I'm happy to create new housing at every income level. Again, the government is uh, really focused on providing that new housing for our most vulnerable residents. That's, that's where we step in, right. as well as taking a little piece of the new development through these impact fees. Um, but it's all good. We need more housing right. at every income Do level. Do you think we're going to be able to solve this problem in the next 10 years? Uh, I had Ev Williams here, who was kind of a student of the city, and I asked him that, about this because I knew he loved cities, and he's like, nope, we're screwed. Especially in San Francisco, we just can't build our way out of the problem we have. Um, you know, it took us 
16 years to get into this mess. It is going to take us a while to get out, but let's be sure that we learn the lessons and put some things in place so that this doesn't happen again. How do you see yourself in 10 years? Are you still in public service? <laughs> you know, actually, uh, uh, being the mayor has been kind of a career ender for many Oakland mayors, so <laughs> I don't true. know if I would agree with the premise of your question. Yeah. You know, this is my hometown. This is the city I was born and raised in that I have been in love with all my life. Um, it is my dream to make this city better. This is where my children are growing up. This is where my parents are aging. Um, I, at least right now, would love to have a second term. Uh, most of a mayor's agenda cannot be accomplished in just four years, so I'd love to have that eight years. Right. That is the only thing I am focused on. I am doing this job like it is the last job I will have for the rest of my life. And that's the only way you can be a mayor. Right. Thank you so much for coming by Nuco Shift Dialogues. Oh, it's really a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks to our sponsor, EY, for their support of our first season of the Shift Dialogue podcast. EY, building a better working world.